Uh, hi everyone, hope you're doing well. Um, our sermon series is uh, starting tonight with uh, the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to be going through Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 for a while. We're going to go through all of it and uh, work through all of it together. And so our, our text for tonight is the very beginning, uh, Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. And if you haven't read those yet, please go ahead and pause and go and read those. And um, assuming you have read it, let's begin. Um, so the Sermon on the Mount is pretty well known for a number of things. Um, one of the things it's well known for especially is that this is actually Jesus's longest constant discourse we have in Scripture. Uh, many of his teachings that we have recorded in the Gospels are, are shorter, responses to questions. But here we have sort of a very, very long sermon or teaching he gave to a large group of people. And, um, you know, this sort of struck me and came to me back in January. If you remember at the beginning of the year, uh, in the evening service, we were going through the parables of Jesus. And one of the, the ones we taught on was at the end in Matthew 7, where Jesus talks about the wise and the foolish builder. And uh, it really made me want to go back and, and look at the things Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. Because it actually ends the whole discourse, Matthew ends it like this at the end of Matthew 7. He says, when Jesus had finished saying these things, that's all the things from the Sermon on the Mount, the crowds were amazed because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. And really this was sort of why I wanted to go through this. What is this authority that Jesus commanded that was so powerful? And, and, and for his audience, what was so amazing about this Sermon on the Mount and what can we learn from it? Uh, and so here we have um, our text. And you know, I, I wanna encourage you here, don't necessarily um, think of these as like a new 10 commandments. Right, actually in the morning services, Andy is gonna be going through a series on the 10 commandments for the next 10 or 11 weeks. Should be really, really good. Um, but this text is not like Jesus is saying, okay, here's all the new rules, right? Here's all the things it takes. These aren't just black and white commands, all of them. Um, they are commands from Jesus and he does encourage us how to live, but, but, but it's a bit more than that, I think. I wanna encourage you to think about these as sort of illustrations. You know, Dallas Willard, uh, one of my favorite authors actually says that these are illustrations of the blessings that we get living in God's kingdom or living under God's rule. And so they are commands and there are some rules in here, but it's also sort of a, a guide to how to understand the blessings that God has for us in this life. And so it's not just like a top-down rules, it's, it's, it's an understanding of how we ought to live. Um, you know, I, I say this phrase kind of a lot. Uh, we talk about the kingdom of God. Um, and what does that mean? It's, it's a way of living. It's a way of understanding how God is interacting in this life. Um, and really what I think is it's what we're all seeking. How do we live this life well? How do we just live a good life? <laughs> Not only honoring God, which is why we come to church and we worship and do the things we do, but how do we also help others? You know, I don't think anyone sets out to live a mediocre life. <laughs> I don't think anyone goes into it just to try and get by. I mean, maybe we do that in seasons and maybe there's times in our lives where we may feel that way. But overall, you know, we wanna do this life well. And how do we do that? I think here we have descriptions of how we might see a blessed life in the kingdom of God. And these are the words 
Jesus actually uses, right? He uses the words blessed or blessed. Um, let's, let's talk about that, because that's how Jesus says, right? Blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. Uh, what do we think that word means? Um, you know, it's kind of worked its way into popular culture, right? Um, I don't generally show video clips, but there's one I really wanted to show from a TV show where two characters just go back and forth saying, be blessed, be blessed, be blessed, and it drives me absolutely crazy because no one seems to know what it means. Um, and if you actually look online, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and, and, and search, like hashtag blessing or hashtag blessed, um, <laughs> I don't think people really understand what this word means. Um, you'll see everything from like someone says, oh, you know, found 20 francs, hashtag blessed, or like, oh, you know, got a new job, I'm so blessed, or beautiful sunset, blessed, and it, it, it's not wrong, right? And actually, if you search it, if, whatever social media platforms you use, just search hashtag blessed, and you'll see everything, right? You'll see everything from video games to money to relationships, to actually God and Bible verses and good things too that um, come from scripture. And, but, but to me, I look at those things and I think, okay, who's blessing you? Where is the blessing coming from? Right here, you're, you're saying and sharing with the world that you're so blessed, but who is the one blessing you? You know, and some people might say it's the universe, right? The universe blessed me with a beautiful day. Okay. Some people might say it's karma, right? I'm a good person and now I'm blessed with this good thing. Okay, I guess. <laughs> but for us as Christians, for those of you who identify as a Christian, what, what does that word mean for us? Because I think it's different. Um, what is the Christian understanding of this word bless or blessed? You know, and, and I think that when we look at a Christian definition of this word or a biblical understanding of this word, what we're talking about is when God extends his benefits to each one of us. That's love, that's grace, that's mercy, that's anything. It can be a blessing of material, it can be a blessing of love and generosity and kindness, it can be anything. Right? But one definition I saw that I thought was really cool is that a blessing creates envy. That other people look to it and they say, wow, I want that. Right? That person is so blessed, they have this. And ultimately, for the Christian, we believe this happens when we receive faith from God. When, when we believe in God, receive the gift of faith, and, and we receive the grace promised to us through Jesus Christ. And so in some ways, people aren't wrong when they say they're blessed because they find 20 francs on the side of the road. That's a good thing, and that's a nice thing. But we need to know where these blessings come from. We need to know the source of these blessings. We need to understand the proper lens with which to view these blessings. You know, I always come back to this example of people who worship the creator or the creation rather than the creator. I've talked to so many people in my life who just say, oh, I just love nature so much. I go out in the mountains, in the forests, and I just worship. What do you worship? Are you worshiping the trees? I mean, I love trees. Don't get me wrong. I'm like the Lorax. You know, I love the trees. But, but I'm not going to worship the trees, right? I'm, I love the ocean. And, and the ocean makes me want to worship God when I go swimming in the ocean. But I'm not going to worship the ocean or the fish or the coral reefs. It just it doesn't make sense to me. And so saying you are blessed without realizing where the blessing comes from is sort of silly. So what does Jesus say? What does Jesus say about blessing, and what does Jesus say with this sermon about blessings? If we're talking about experiencing a life with God, living in the kingdom, um, we need to understand what Jesus is getting at here. 
in Matthew chapter 5. Because if you look at your scriptures, um, it'll start out and it'll say something like the Beatitudes, which, by the way, is just the same base word, the Latin word for blessing. That's where we get that. Um, but the Beatitudes, he begins with this word, blessed or blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And he gives us this list. And we're only going to go through the first three today, poor in spirit, those who mourn, and the meek. Um, but immediately, Jesus tells us what we should be looking for. And, and, and let me just point out to you that the things that Jesus mentions here are not the things you're going to find online if you search for blessed. Okay. You're not going to find someone who says, oh, I'm, you know, mourning the loss of a loved one, blessed. Oh, I'm trying to be more meek and not assert control while serving and loving my neighbors sacrificially, hashtag blessed. You're not going to have that. If you look at what Jesus' definition of blessings are and what the world says blessings are, they're already going to be really different with the very beginning of this sermon. And already we see that Jesus is contrasting his teaching to the teachings of the world. For them 2,000 years ago and for us today. People's understanding of what is good can be very different than Jesus' teaching. Already Jesus is introducing what the scriptures call an upside-down kingdom, where the last are first. And we need to understand what blessing really means. And so let's look at the text. Let's see what Jesus is saying and see what we can learn from it. The first thing, we're going to go through the, the first three here today. Uh, the first is poor in spirit. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. <laughs> and this is a hard phrase because the word means poor, right? Um, so what does it mean to be poor in spirit? Let me first just say what I believe poor in spirit is not. Okay, this can be helpful. Um, it's not used to like oppress, subjugate, or just not help other people. Okay, let me just be really clear about that. We don't want to say, oh, it's okay that that person's poor and needs food. It's okay that those people are really struggling because the Bible says that the poor in spirit um, will receive the kingdom of heaven and so they're going to be just fine and not ever do anything about it. Okay, so that's not what it's saying. It is not saying that we can um, just ignore people or pretend that those people who are poor and destitute do not need help. Okay, it's not saying that. It's also not saying that we should be sad. It's also not saying that we should be moping around with our heads down, complaining all the time, or that we should be like really sad in our spirits all the time. I sort of think of Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh, this little dark cloud hovering over him wherever he goes, you know? Oh, bother. Like, it's not saying we should be Eeyore either. That's not what Jesus is saying about being poor in spirit. Let me tell you what I think Jesus is saying and how I understand this. If you think about the time of Jesus, a poor person was a beggar. We see beggars all throughout the Gospels, people on the side of the road, um, paralyzed people, blind people, people with different deformities or ailments, relying on the generosity of others to survive. They relied on others to give that they would survive. And it's, you know, we see it still now all around the world. Jesus says that we ought to be poor in spirit. Not that we would rely on other people's generosity, but that our very spirits would rely upon God for his grace. Right? That we would almost be like spiritual beggars to God, that when we go to God, we bow down asking for God's grace. We bow down before God in humility, asking that God would bestow grace upon us like a beggar. That's what he's saying with poor in spirit. And this, by the way, is nothing new. Read through the Psalms. 
Just one example in Psalm 70, verse 5. But as for me, the psalmist writes, I am poor and needy. Come quickly to me, O God. You are my help and my deliverer. Lord, do not delay. If it helps you, you can replace the word poor with humble. But what it's saying is that whether you are humble in spirit, whether you are poor in spirit, it means the same thing, that God wants us to come to him with our whole spirits in humility, bowing before him, realizing that everything we have comes from him. Proverbs chapter 3 says this, and it's quoted in the New Testament by James in chapter 4, that God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. And so Jesus is saying to his people as he's preaching to them, if you are poor in spirit, you will understand the kingdom of heaven. God will give you gifts not only of grace and salvation, but God will reveal to you so much more truth through your humility. Church, we need God's grace. We need to go to God. And we need to come in humility as a beggar, relying on God's kindness and love to reveal truth to us. And the danger here is because we know that even in our faith, even in our service to God, even in our desire to do good things, that pride can work its way in, can it? And that before we realize it, we don't even, it doesn't even register in our brain, but the way we think is, you know, God, I deserve this. I mean, I've been coming to church for this long. I've been giving this much money. I've been doing this many volunteer activities. You owe me this. And yet Jesus is saying, no. We should always go to God as a beggar, asking for God's grace, not coming to him with pride that we feel we have deserved something, but that we are reliant on God for everything. And this is why when we come to God, we come with a poor spirit. Jesus says no to a proud spirit. Jesus says yes to humility and grace. And what's funny about this is I, I was studying this, this idea of being poor in spirit. And I found myself being so convicted already that I thought, gosh, I can't go into mourning and meekness. This is enough. Right? Learning how to be poor in spirit is a lifetime for me. I mean, I don't know how you feel, but for me, I was really convicted about this. Um, but as we continue on with Jesus, we realize that this is just the first teaching line of this whole sermon. And so I want to cover the next two now, um, and then we'll wrap up. And the next one he goes into is interesting. He says, the mourning, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. You know, and I actually read a lot of critique about this online, um, articles and different things, and people just sort of saying that this is just a silly, false hope. Something that religions pour out there that, oh yes, their God will comfort them, it'll be okay, you know, sort of an empty promise. Maybe. Uh, so I just want to ask you, have you ever felt comforted while mourning? Have you ever been lifted up by brothers and sisters in Christ in the church while going through a hard time? Maybe you were alone and you experienced a supernatural comfort of God or the Holy Spirit where you felt comforted and loved. I can tell you that I've felt both. Sometimes when I was mourning, people in the church came around me and loved me, and sometimes when I felt alone, that God comforted me. And I cannot quantify these things, right? This is a beatitude that I would say is very experiential. I can't always explain it, 
but I know it to be true. Blessed are those who mourn. Yeah, I think they will be comforted. Um, this has been my experience. What's been your experience? Maybe this is something you can discuss with friends or a small group or, or, or ponder or call me and we can talk about it. Um, but I think that mourning and understanding this and what Jesus is saying here is, is to live the Christian life and to experience these things. Uh, and that, that's sort of a difficult um, explanation sometimes, but I believe it to be true. That this is an experiential, experiential thing that Jesus wants us to learn. That we would trust in him, that we would trust in our brothers and sisters in, in, in the church to comfort each other while mourning. Uh, and if you haven't experienced that, let me know and we can talk. Uh, and then finally, Jesus says that um, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Um, you know, here we have a third thing Jesus says, and none of these things are particularly strong, are they? All of these things are interpreted as weakness by the world. The poor in spirit, those who are sad, those who are meek. Like, well, these people aren't blessed. These people are weak. These people are, and this is why I titled this sermon, The Weak. The world sees these characteristics as weak. And even with meekness, I immediately thought, well, this is sort of a contradiction because Jesus wasn't exactly meek. He flipped over tables in the temple. He called some of the Pharisees and Sadducees names sometimes, and he didn't really come across as meek. But I think that for us, we sort of confuse these words meek and weak. Um, I, I saw one description this way, and it helped me. It said that a, a weak person can't do anything. Like something happens to them, and they can't do anything. They just don't have the power or the ability. But a meek person chooses not to act or chooses not to respond unless it's absolutely necessary. Um, you may remember the definition I gave once a while ago for the mature Christian. What does a mature Christian look like? That's someone who's almost impossible to offend. That's a meek person. Someone who doesn't need to respond right away. Someone who doesn't need to come back right away with a comeback. But someone who is like, just like inside is just like calm, smooth waters. Right? Uh, I thought about this, that the that the meek person does not let all of the external things affect the internal. That's meekness. They're in control, living by the Spirit of God. It's very connected, actually, to poor in spirit. If we are poor in spirit and relying on God for all of our comfort and our, and our care and all the things we need in humility, then when the outside world tries to tell us something, we realize, no, we get everything we need from God. The circumstances don't affect us as much. Another way, maybe even if this helps you, is that meekness, to look at the example of Christ, meekness is letting God fight for you. Similar to poor in spirit, but it's a theme throughout Scripture. I mean, look at the Psalms. All throughout the Psalms, the psalmists are asking God to redeem them. The psalmists are asking God to fight for them. The psalmists are pleading with God to bring them retribution. I mean, last week was Easter. Look at Jesus. At Easter, Jesus let God fight for him. If you read through John chapter 18, 19, and 20, Jesus didn't fight for himself. In his dialogue with Pontius Pilate, he could have said more. He could have argued his point. He could have done everything to try to save himself. And yet Jesus, in his meekness, allowed God to represent him in those moments. Even in our psalm of the day we read today, Psalm 37, it says that the meek will inherit the land. <laughs> this is not a new theme. Jesus is simply continuing themes of God's truth throughout all of Scripture. Continuing what God has asked of his servants. 
So if we look back, we have three things here, right? God is asking us to let him fight for us. God is asking us to be meek. Right? God is promising us that when we mourn, we will be comforted. And, and just as a reminder, look around, ask around, share testimony. I believe you will find this to be true. And finally, Jesus is reminding us that being poor in spirit is letting your spirit fall before God in humility. And that in doing so, God will actually reveal to us the grandeur of his kingdom to this world. <laughs> I mean, what a message. What a message for today. What a message for all of us. And let me just encourage you. Our epistle reading was from 1 Peter, and I just want to read a verse from it. Peter writes, Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. Church, when we read the Sermon on the Mount, these are gifts God wants to give us. These are blessings God wants to give us. Right? These are things for you and for me, how we should live, that God desires, as we've seen throughout all of Scripture, to give us good gifts, to bless us in how we live this life. And sometimes it's completely upside down of what the world thinks. Sometimes we are going to come across as weak and crazy to this world. Sometimes it's completely against our nature. And we think, no, I have to say something, I have to do something, I have to act. But maybe it's a good thing. <laughs> maybe it's a good thing that what Christ is teaching is against our human nature. And maybe as we meditate on Easter last week and go forward in this life, we should focus on the authoritative teachings of Jesus Christ and lean in to the things he is leading us to and guiding us to rather than what the world is leading us to and guiding us to. And so as you consider these things, as you pray over these things, this is just the first three <laughs> in this whole sermon series. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, and I hope and pray that you are able to be poor in spirit, that you are comforted when you mourn, and that you are able to find this meekness that God has granted you and I with through the Holy Spirit. Go in peace and whatever you find yourself doing this week. I hope you have a great week.